Hello. Welcome to Move This World with Sarah, conversations in social-emotional learning. I recently sat down with Broadway star and artist Daniel J. Watts and his mom, Artez. Daniel was recently nominated for a Tony Award. You might have seen him perform at the recent Tony Awards, or in one of his eight Broadway shows and numerous TV appearances, or read his writing, or watched his TED Talk. With all his success as an artist, the one thing that continues to impress me is the work he does on himself, reflecting, listening, building in silence and pause, and using his creativity to understand himself more deeply in order to be a better artist, son, and friend. What also struck me in our conversation was this idea of freedom, that when we engage in creative expression, when we build in the time to understand all the parts of ourselves, we can feel freer. That digging in, despite being hard and even scary, allows us to feel inner peace. As the world reopens and we return to our in-person communities, Daniel and his mom talk about the importance of community in grieving, healing, and creating, and remembering that we are not alone. So before we dive in to all that we have to discuss today around the arts and storytelling and the return of live theater and self-care and pausing, etc., let's take a moment to pause ourselves, to center ourselves and ground ourselves before we get into this discussion. So let's just take a moment to feel our feet flat beneath us and take a deep breath in and an exhale. Let's do one more because that felt really nice. Breath in and exhale. And if we could identify how we're feeling in this moment right now, through one word or phrase, what might that be? And if we could reflect that feeling word or phrase through a movement or a gesture, what might that be? And when you've identified your feeling word, go ahead and open your eyes. And so what we'll do is we'll say our name and how we're feeling with our movement or gesture. And I know folks can't see us, but Daniel and Miss Watts and I, we can see each other. So we're going to go ahead and mimic and mirror the movements and feelings of one another just to show some solidarity and support to say, I see you, I hear you, and I acknowledge how you're feeling before we move into this conversation and this time together. So I'll go first. My name is Sarah, and I'm feeling inspired. So then we'd all go inspired. Inspired. My name is Daniel, and I'm feeling, yes! (laughs) Yes! Yes! I'm Artez, and I'm feeling excited. Excited. Thank you so much for joining in that exercise in empathy and community before we dive in. I love a nice breaker. Thank you both for being here in such an important, timely conversation as theater is reopening and we're all trying to process the trauma of the last almost two years. I feel fortunate that I, in the last month, have been able to see you, Daniel, in two of your theater performances, both at at the Atlantic Theater and in Tina on Broadway. And in particular, at Tina, 
I was so moved and surprised myself how moved and emotional I became in the, well, really throughout, but especially in the second act. And just by the way the audience was responding to being in theater and to being together. And yes, of course, the performances were exquisite, but I was especially moved by watching audience members just stand up impulsively and wave their hands in the air and cry and laugh and look at each other. And it struck me it's been two years since we have come together in community, experienced art in community, And I'm just really struck by the way in so many areas society is pushing us to move on, but we haven't had time to heal. So I'm curious how you see the role of theater in all of this. Wow. You know, it is that. It's this drug that we didn't know we were withdrawing from. You can't beat live theater. Like, A, it's happening live in your face. You're also a part of it whether you really want to be or not. Like, even whether you're being silent or you're applauding or laughing, you are a part of the piece. And there's this artificial thing that we've been doing for the last 18 months, which is what we're doing now, which is we're communicating with each other, but we're not in community with each other. And, you know, theater and going to the movies allows for this thing to like, we can sit in a room together, all of us with our own different experiences and whatever we went through that day and have a shared experience, a shared escape as it were, and really do something together communally. It's something that we haven't had, and to feel it for the first time is really exhilarating to be able to look beside you and see, like, I don't know you, but I know that we're sharing in this experience, and we agree. (laughs) We agree on this experience. It's just something that we've all been starving for for the last 18 months because it was also taken away from us so quickly, right? It wasn't like a, hey, countdown, we're slowly going to start weaning ourselves off of this opportunity to be around each other. It was just ripped from us. And now I think there's just this hunger and this thirst and this drive to have some semblance of it. Well, and it's even this idea of processing and reflection. You know, for so many of us, our lives did just get ripped out from under us, whether it was our careers, our work, our homes, our families, we lost loved ones. And so to actually have space to process and heal when, for many of us, there hasn't been that time to process and heal because we just have to put on our armor, we have to put on our face, and we have to keep fighting, and we have to keep going through our days because maybe other people depend on us, whether it's family members or colleagues. So this idea of healing in community, too, is really powerful. Yeah, a lot of institutions have been able to keep going. People were either still working through Zoom, so like life shifted, but like work kept going. Schools, universities had to shut down at first, but then they kept going, right? And then they had to practice this new healing thing in real time. Specifically, live theater didn't necessarily get to do that. So now for the first time, we're actually seeing how we can be in the space together and what needs to heal and what has healed in the time that we've been away from each other. It's, it's a very interesting time. Ms. Watts, I'm curious to hear about the role of storytelling in your family. Daniel is an extraordinary storyteller. He does that specifically in his work with the jam. But even as a performer and the stories that we experience together in community to process and heal, what did storytelling or what does storytelling look like in your family? I guess I can go back to my grandmother, his great-grandmother, which the jam is gets its origin from. She was a good storyteller. Sitting around, just listening her talk about 
thing she did when she was a kid. She could outrun a rabbit, she said. (laughs) (laughs) Stories about her grandmother, her parents, you know, their sharecropping, what they did. All of those oldie goldies, I called them, senior citizens, you know, whatever. They were good at just telling those things. My thing with Daniel was always, mother used to say, that's what we called her. Mother used to say it this way, or mother used to say, and and reading, reading a lot and reading to him. So I think that's all part of storytelling as well, not just something off the cuff or something you remember, but just sitting down and reading to him. He loved to be read to. And what role does either reading or storytelling play either today or when Daniel was at home in how you kind of move through challenges, struggles, disappointments, healing of any kind? Reading has always been a thing for me. When I was a little girl, I always wanted to go to the library. I loved to read about everybody else and everything else. That's what got me through. You know, as I got older, then I read. Okay, I and was I like, still, anything. I was going to try not to interject. <laughs> she still reads everything. I read everything, anything. It's just whatever I need to feed me is what I read. And I can read two or three, four books at a time. And I think I passed that on. <laughs> I'm sure you have. And Daniel, what, in addition to reading, what does storytelling do for you to help you or how does storytelling help you process challenges and disappointments? You know what? My mother leaves herself out often. She tells me, used to tell me, still tells me all the stories, but I always want to know. And my mom's also just a good storyteller. That's where you get it from. That's where I get it from. It's a family thing. I would just get a kick out of all these stories about my mom and her two sisters growing up and her cousins just... Hearing about everybody when they were younger, even Granny, when Granny was younger, for me, it gave me information about myself, right? It let me know, oh, maybe that's where I get this from, okay, and that's where I get this from. And it's legacy, to answer your question fully. That's how I feel about storytelling, it's legacy. It's how things are passed down, and it's information. Everything isn't the internet. Everything isn't just as quick as like, da-da-da-da-da, here it is. Some stories have nuance, and it's also interesting to hear in the midst of getting a story, these three different perspectives when they're like, Mm-mm, that's not what happened. It is such and such. No, I was, you were, you had already left already. It was this. And when they came, when you came back, oh, I feel like I was there when this happened. My family, we love to recap stories. We've heard 35 times. We love to just tell that story again. And see if it changes. <laughs> see if it changes. It's that community aspect of it. I love what you said about, through storytelling, understanding something in yourself. Mm. And for me, what's so powerful about the arts and art making is the ability to have those aha moments like, oh, I never thought about this challenge or I was viewing myself in this way before. And sometimes you just have to get out of the cerebral or out of, you know, the box. And that's why at Move This World, we use the creative arts to help people identify, express, and manage their emotions more fully and more deeply. So separate from storytelling, how do you think about creative expression and your own artistic process as a way to help you understand yourself more authentically, more deeply, more fully? It's kind of a, a digging. I'm digging into myself 
And the longer I engage in the artistic process, the further into myself I go. And I hope to dig as deep as possible because then I can kind of forget about the idea of an audience, right? So I think the very beginning is usually about audience. Who's going to see this? If somebody sees this, what are they going to get from it, take from it? And you got to kind of get past the superficial of it all. And then you get into the real, okay, this is how I really feel. Okay, but this is how I really feel. I'll go to write something in my head. I'm like, why do I think you should care about this, right? Then there's a second layer of why do I think you should care about it, which is then now I'm starting to do the things that I think you want to hear. But then the truth is really, why do I care about it? That's what you really want to know, <laughs> why I care mm -hmm. about it. Because now I'm getting down to the universal. The more individual and specific I get, I'm actually getting more universal. I'm getting to the center. That's the core of all of us, that really human part. And that is kind of why I do it so much, because I find that it, it keeps saving me in some form of capacity. Art has always been an outlet of some form where I'm feeling something, and I don't necessarily know what I'm feeling, but it's something, and I need to get to the core of it. I need to get to the root of it. Can you imagine not feeling free enough to even access that or go there? And I think that's so many of us. That's American society. You know, we're mm -hmm. not encouraged to pursue both our own emotional exploration and sense of self and or our creative sense of self. And without the emotional development and without the creative development, we kind of risk walking around like zombies. But I think that it's rare. And so what would both of you say to someone who's skeptical or resistant to engaging in creative work? They're not a Tony nominee. They're not a Broadway performer. They haven't been on TV and, you know, all of the artistic accolades that you've received, Daniel. What would you say to someone who hasn't yet explored either of those muscles or sides of themselves? Hmm. I have a poem called Outlets that is maybe if we can find a way to, to get the weight, weight to drop, we can find a way to get the self-hate to stop. It was just you know, it's freedom. It really is freedom. And there's this fake idea of freedom that we have, and there's actual freedom. And I find when you're artistic in whatever capacity, that's the most free you could actually probably be. There are people who are in prison, but they feel super free whenever they're artistic. Freedom is relative in some ways, and the freedom is not relative, right? How free can I be in myself? And I think art in its rawest form in terms of expressing oneself, because people try to quiet people's expression, and that's people don't feel free when their expression mm -hmm. is being stifled. So yeah, just anything, you know, it can just, just write a little bit, paint a little bit, but just take a moment for yourself to get free, because you're probably not as free as you think you are. I love the word free. I often say it's about feeling liberated. Like I feel yeah. the most liberated when I'm, you know, my whole sense of self. Miss Watts, I'm curious how you've seen your son develop and evolve as he's further dropped in to his creative journey and his creative pursuit. And as he's further developed those creative muscles, how has he evolved as a person? He was always very imaginative. His imagination would run rampant, and I just let it pretty much. So I'm not surprised by anything that's happening. I am in awe of how deep he goes. He can strike a nerve. He can strike my nerves, too. You know, <laughs> he, can, he can hit me pretty hard with stuff that makes me go, ooh. But that's okay, because that's what I taught him to do. <laughs> 
I love this idea of what you said that that he can go deep. And yeah. I've been thinking a lot about that in the last year specifically, but certainly the last two years. It's been a really hard year. There's been a lot of loss. There's been a lot of trauma. And for me, it's been very clear who in my life can show up and handle that and sit in the well with me and go deep and who just can't. For whatever reason, mm. they don't have the capacity. They have limits. And I treasure the relationships that can go deep and yeah. that can just sit in the well with me and not have to operate superficially up here. And so what do you think happened in your family to allow you both? You know, you said that you're surprised by how he continues to go so deep. Where does that come from? I'm going to go back to Aunt Beulah. <laughs> uh-huh. My grandmother's sister, who kept me during the day while my, my dad died when I was three. And my mom was a school teacher. And I stayed with Aunt Beulah during the day. And she taught me to think and stick with things and people. You know, I was at that point the youngest of all of the cousins, and she would say, stick with them. And that stuck with me. (laughs) I don't know if it's just with my reading at a young age as well, or just watching people around me, superficial stuff. I don't deal with it well. (laughs) You're not interested in it. I'm not interested in it. I can put up with it. I can tolerate it for a while, but at some point it shows, and people tell me my face speaks volumes. <laughs> Daniel's so, nodding. <laughs> nodding profusely. <laughs> at some point, it's time to move on from the superficial and let's look at the real stuff. What do you think it is, Daniel? Why are you able to go so deep? Whew. Able. Able is the word. I'm able because of a combination of I'm so interested in the truth. I've seen the product of what happens when you suppress things too long and or when you don't get to the root of it. You kind of just let it let it fester or you don't extract it. And, you know, that's a byproduct of circumstance, that's a byproduct of environment. Just those things that for whatever reason, it's easier and sometimes even better to just let things pass or just not deal with them head on. And sometimes it's survival, honestly. But I realized that wasn't going to work for me. And if I didn't do that, I was going to either wind up hurting somebody or in jail or just, you know, the things that happen when people don't have outlets and or when people don't really know what the root of it is. And therapy really helped me dig deeper. I would always go deep, but there was another level. Therapy really helped me understand that. And then I felt, there's that word again, freer. The deeper I go, the freer I feel. You can't be freedom. And I think a really smart thing that the powers that be make us terrified of freedom actually. And it's like, oh, wait, you don't actually don't want too much freedom because what do you do with so much freedom? It's like, you just keep flying, I guess. But yeah, that's for me. Like, I know that I'm free the deeper I go, even though it's hard at times, even though it hurts scary at times. It's terrifying. You don't know what's on the other side of that door. It's terrifying. But you know what's over here, that this isn't working for you. So you might as well <laughs> open the door and see what's on the other side. What are the relationships that have supported you in going deeper and feeling 
even more free? I mean, number one is right here, mama. Always, she calls it, what do you say, driving driving from the back? What do you say? She's lost right now. Her <laughs> face is, her frown is fraught. She has no idea what she's Leading said. from the back. That's what it is. Okay. Leading is the word. I was like, there's a, leading from behind. Whew. I was going to find it. Leading from behind. Let me tell her what I was interested in. She let me say, I want to do this. And then she would either go, that makes sense or... Let's try this. But she, she always encouraged my creativity. She always encouraged my imagination. And I gravitated to spaces where I could always feel that. Places where I knew that I could lead, but also I had good backup. And people were like, hey, you know, maybe based on X, Y, and Z. And hopefully not fear. And it's us out fear very quickly. It's like, ooh, don't do that. You don't want me to do that because you're scared? Or you don't want me to do that because... It's bad. (laughs) I have my own fears. I can't govern myself by other people's. And yeah, you know, my closest friends now are really, you know, people who know how to let me lead, but also are willing to just check in with me to make sure I'm good, that I'm okay on my own path. And will also push me, push me to go further, push me to go deeper. Few times when I'm silent and they're used to hearing from me at a certain time, like, hey, normally you would you would say something around now. You okay? You good? Calling it out. Yeah, we need you right now. I always have the right group of people to do that, pull that stuff out of me. How do you move through those fears that you do have? Oh, man. Talking it out first, admitting that they're fears. That's the first part. Just saying, this is what scares me. Okay. Understanding that fear is an illusion. It's based on a set of ideas of things that have probably never occurred or things that have happened in the past and me operating as if I am still that same individual. It's like, I'm not the same person. So that fear probably isn't the same either. And what's the worst that could happen? I try to gauge that. (laughs) What's the worst that could happen? And is it that someone would say no, and then that's my ego? Okay, that's different. What's the worst that could happen? Oh, I could die. Oh, okay, that's different. Uh, (laughs) Maybe I'll, (laughs) okay, okay, I don't have to do that today. Miss Watts, what advice have you given Daniel, both in facing fears, but also moving through disappointment and challenge, especially in the last 18 months? Oh, I really didn't have to tell him anything. He kind of knew what to do on his own as far as the last 18 months. I don't know. I just always told him, pick yourself up by your bootstraps and let's get back on that bike and try it again. I've been pretty supportive, I guess, of letting him try. Okay. Extremely. You're being humble. (laughs) Okay. She is. It's okay. I'll edit in the truth. <laughs> Letting him try whatever it is. If you want to do it, okay. He was ninth grade, got in the car, held up this little piece of cloth, and it's like, what the heck is that? It was a singlet for wrestling. <laughs> my idea of wrestling is, oh my gosh, no, you're going to be slammed around on the mat and beat up and all of that stuff, but... That's what he wanted to try. So it's like, okay. I didn't think he would stick with it because he would get <laughs> slammed on the mat. And tossed Four years later, I was the loudest mama screaming at a wrestling match when the first <laughs> match I sat with my back to him, the whole match, because I couldn't watch. So I've just been encouraging. If this is what you want to try, okay. Let's go for it. And if it doesn't work out, okay, we move on to the next thing. But we're not going to give up and we're not going to not try because we're afraid. Fear is not an option. I don't even want him to be consumed or controlled 
by fear because it's actually devastating and it hinders you from doing anything else. I want to talk about your TED Talk, Daniel, this idea of letting the paint dry. And I think that it's especially relevant. You know, we talked at the top of this conversation about society just kind of pushing us back after all of this loss and trauma of the last 18 months, two years, and putting on our armor and having to move forward. And many of us are returning to the routines, the lives, the rhythms that we had pre-pandemic. And for those who haven't watched or listened to your TED Talk yet, you know, this idea of letting the paint dry. I talk a lot about the power of pause. And for me, your TED Talk really resonated because in Building Move This World, there was a point about five years ago where I was so burnt out that actually our mutual friend, Benj Pasek, he accused me of just disappearing. I just left and I went to a monastery in India for six weeks and was silent and had to do a silent retreat. And then I did this dance intensive. Like I totally went off and needed to disappear and reset. Can you kind of talk a little bit about this idea of letting the paint dry and why it's so timely and important right now? There's a word that I didn't know to use in the TED Talk, but just the idea of urgency. And somewhere along the way, we got encouraged to believe that urgency, you know, we even get emails, urgent matter. You know, you get things in the mail, you know, urgent. And it's like, (laughs) you know, nothing outside of like life and death is really urgent. Mm -hmm. I'm learning. Actually, it is best if you take a minute with most things and sit with it and see how you actually feel with it before responding, because it's easy to get an emotional response, you know, an emotionally charged response, I should say. And what is for you is for you. So like, say if because you aren't ready to comment or something or it'll pass you by, it's like, well, then it wasn't for you. I really embrace that in this time is just the sheer urgency of everything is stress inducing. It puts you on someone else's clock. And I don't, I'm not saying that you should not respect someone else's time. It's not the same thing, but yeah, just these strong, gross senses of urgency and having to be urgently everywhere. (laughs) Everything is, this is urgent. Well, this is urgent too. And this is urgent. It's just, it's, and you make it urgent and you start doing that and you start to realize that you're actually not giving yourself any space and any time. And you're not actually not even giving the thing time. Most things take time to heal, right? We're not operating at 100% because it's urgent. You didn't get all the sleep that you needed to get because you had to get up early and you had to get to the thing and then you can give yourself enough time when you woke up because you had to. It's just like, how do I dial all that back? And painting forced me to do that because... I could want to, I want to paint this painting. I want it to be done quickly. It can't be. It simply can't be. The next thing that you want to do, you can't do yet because all this paint is still wet and you have to wait. You have to. So go find something else to do while this paint is drying or sit here and watch it like a dodo. But now you're not getting something else done, right? You can be productive. A lack of urgency doesn't mean a lack of productivity. Painting actually allowed me, okay, well, while this is drying, I'll go practice my drum rudiments. And now I've spent some time doing this, but I'm still painting. I'm not not painting. I'm just, it's in a pause, like you said. And now I can't resume because this portion dried. I can get back into it. And it took, it was a lot of jacked up paintings at first. I mean, somebody might be like, oh no, this is very avant-garde art. You know, someone will like it and it's artist objective, which is great, you know, but the kind of art that I wanted to make, I realized I had to let the paint dry. And so what does that look like in your life? Like, how do you let the paint dry when you're not painting, but like today, 
moving through your day in New York City, rehearse this conversation, rehearsal, show tonight? How do you let the paint dry in a micro way? Well, I give myself more space between things. It's like I have this from this time to this time, but I need a break in between. Instead of going straight to it, I need... I need a minute to just mm-hmm. come out of that. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm going to need to talk to my mom after this. You know, it's like, just, <laughs> you know, we just go talk. Okay, how'd you feel? We got to go through all of that stuff, you know, and then I'll go on <laughs> to the next thing I have to do. You know, but just giving myself space to breathe between is just something that I hadn't really done before. It was blue, green, red, orange, purple, and all that just turns into brown. Yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, for me, I was feeling unmotivated, like burnout manifested in feeling apathetic about something that I created, which makes no Mm. sense. So when you've burnt out and you've gone too hard, if you don't let the paint dry, what happens to you? I crash. I crash and I disappear. And sometimes you need to disappear like you did. And I'm also an only child. So I'm used to people not necessarily looking for me growing up being mom. It's just, there's no one looking for me other than my mom. And if she's at work, after school, then it's just me. There's no one, there's no one accountable for me but me. So I still have, you know, vestiges of that growing up like that. But, you know, when I go too hard, it catches up to me or I get sick. I'll get really bad sinus infections. And that's how I know I've been doing well because I haven't had any sinus infections. You're letting the paint dry. <laughs> you built in those spaces for yourself and that time breaks. to pause. There's something else that I want to talk about, which is um, your performance at the Tonys. Many people talked about it as a highlight, widely celebrated as one of the best performances of the night. What do you hope that young people felt, specifically young people of voting age? What do you Mm. hope that they felt watching your performance? I hope they felt empowered. I hope they felt that their voices matter regardless of their age. I hope they felt the sense of newness within a relatively old and nostalgic institution. Broadway, we thrive on nostalgia. We definitely honor the old ways of doing things and are sometimes slow to usher in new energy. And I hope that the feeling of new energy and that new energy can be embraced I do feel like it was embraced. I didn't feel like people were like, oh, this young rock and roll stuff. I didn't feel that. I felt everyone felt included in that piece. And I mean, I did my homework. (laughs) Felt that myself on the back. I think I did, uh, we all did a very good job at combining elements of old and new together, which is honestly how you usher in new stuff and how you create things that last the test of time is that it feels old and it's also new at the same time. I hope it struck a nerve. I hope you felt a little bit uncomfortable with your own silence. That's kind of where it came from, is me feeling uncomfortable with my own silence. I had, at the top of the pandemic, I took a break, and then I felt uncomfortable with my own silence. So I wasn't pointing a finger. I was talking to myself. Yeah, it was, it's was. it been a very, very special thing. I keep getting a little like, hey, man, that Tony performance. It's really, it's really cool. It's, re- it's really cool. Well, this idea of silence in talking about racism and anti-racist work, so many communities, not just the Broadway community, are wrestling with it, and schools included, and school communities. And in many of the school communities where Move This World works across the entire country, there are school board meetings that are being stormed by parents and families and communities that are really resistant to conversations about race and the idea of moving away from silence. And so what do you hope that those communities and those people who are storming school board meetings 
take away from your Tony performance that is calling out silence and inaction? I hope that people can draw parallels between disenfranchised groups and, you know, understand like, again, silence isn't, that piece isn't just about race. It's about where are you silent ever? Men, are you silent about women's rights? Hetero cis folks, are you silent in LGBTQAI plus, you know, everyone has their moment of silence and what is it? And who are you going to be in the story? Are you going to be the hero? Are you going to be the villain? Are you going to be the sidekick? Who are you? And I understand people's need to fight for things that they feel are tearing down their, if not their heritage, then their belief system. And when your belief system is attacked, you fight for it. You storm. Mm -hmm. I don't expect to get everybody. It's not going to happen. I can't reach everybody. The 18 months really helped me put into perspective the time and energy and years that James Baldwin and Malcolm X and Martin Luther King and Fannie Lou Hamer and all these different people, Shirley Chisholm, Maxine Waters, all these people have put in years. So the fact that I think I could do something with a poem in a matter of months is ludicrous. (laughs) (laughs) Calm down. Let time Again, urgency and time take its course. Plant the seeds. I might not ever eat the fruit off of these trees, right? I won't eat the fruit off of these trees, but I am enjoying the fruit off of trees that other people planted before me. And I just hope to plant a seed. That's really all I can hope for is plant a seed in these people. They might not get it today. They might not get it tomorrow. But you can't say I didn't try to plant a seed. Well, that gives me such a sense of hope to take away from this conversation that you've planted a seed for us all to begin reflecting and wrestling with these important topics. It's time for us to close our conversation. So we're going to go ahead and close in the way that we close everything at Move This World with an opportunity for us to ground ourselves and kind of take our emotional temperature as we move on to whatever's next. You know, Daniel, you mentioned you now have these breaks as you move on to the next thing. So let's make sure that we put a bookend on this conversation before we move on to the next agenda item. So let's just take a moment to take a collective breath in and an exhale. And what we'll do is we'll just each share a sound, a vocal expression of whatever it is that we're feeling right now, and then we'll mirror that back. So it can be anything that you need to just kind of excavate from your body to kind of close off this conversation. So if you're feeling right now could be reflected in a sound, what might that be? So my sound that I want to leave with you all is... And then we would all repeat that together. Did not match the key or the pitch. It's fine. Not the point. The sentiment is still there. Daniel, how are you feeling? How do you want to leave? And Miss Watts? You stole mine. I know. Thank you so much, Daniel. Thank you so much, Miss Watts. It's been such an honor having you and such an important and timely discussion. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Move This World with me, Sarah Potler Lahane. Before you go, wherever you are right now, join me for one final breath and hold in your mind a word or phrase that you are taking away from this conversation. 
breathe in and out. At Move This World, we know social and emotional wellness is necessary, relevant, and impacts our everyday lives at school, in our homes, at our workplaces, and in our relationships. The tools we need to develop are critical for our happiness and success as individuals and as communities. Together, we can create a world where everyone belongs. To explore more ways to move this world, visit us at movethisworld.com or follow us on Twitter at move underscore this world. If you liked this episode, please give us five stars on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast was produced by Jessica Altunian and Seaplane Armada. I cannot wait to move this world with you.